Hey everybody, this is Michael Rogers. Uh, this is my new podcast, Whenever Works. It is a podcast literally about whatever I decide to talk about with whoever I want to talk to uh, whenever I feel like recording one of these. Uh, this first one is with Faros Abukadija and uh, Matthias Boos, some pretty good friends of mine um, who I really like and respect. Uh, Matthias has written a lot of uh, peer-to-peer modules, particularly for the DAP project. Uh, Faros wrote WebTorrent and SimplePeer and a lot of the the work that underlines how you use WebRTC, especially if you're um, a node developer doing browser stuff. Um, this was a very, very deep conversation, very technical. We get pretty deep into some of the standards and pop around quite a bit. Uh, we're also using Roll Call. Uh, it's the first podcast ever recorded with Roll Call. It's a peer-to-peer application that I wrote. Uh, you can check it out at rollcall.audio. Uh, and we make mention of the application several times because obviously this is the first time that a lot of the people are using it. Uh, that's all. Uh, enjoy the conversation. So just just for for posterity, we started doing the call, and then Matthias couldn't get on at first because his connection uh, was being weird. And we were like, "Oh, it would probably help if we had turn." And then, uh, so Ferris just decided to write that <laughs> and sent it. Cool. Okay. Um, yeah. So mainly, I just want to talk with you two about WebRTC. Um, and really start to break down some of the the basic, basic concepts. Because um, I don't think that people really understand them very well. And also, I want to try to figure out, like, what like what are the limitations of the way that WebRTC went about peer-to-peer compared to, like, say, you know, like, BitTorrent with direct connections and things like that. So what mm-hmm. are some of the limitations and, and how are we moving forward? Um, so, I mean, what it, just like, like off the top of your head, what do you think are big problems that, that need to be worked on? In WebRTC? Yeah. Well, and in the I, ecosystem around it. Well, there's like, so there's still like the unsolved problem of, well, somewhat solved, but like uh, doing discovery with WebRTC is still a little bit tricky. Like having infrastructure that allows you to find peers and stuff like that. There's a bunch of different solutions for it right now, but there's like no real super scalable solutions to that yet. Um, at least in like okay. a simple open source community. Right, right. So, so let's break that down, right? So like discovery is important because you need to like find out about these peers in like a decentralized way. So what are the ways that other protocols have went about it and why can't we do that? <laughs> yeah, so like uh, uh, I can just start hearing for us, you can just start interrupting me when you have something to say but you know normally when you do um, connectivity on the web you it, it's pretty basic you have a, somebody has an ip and a port and that's how you connect to it right and most of the time uh, that ip and port is open to anybody so uh, i can give that ip and port out to faraz and he can try to connect to me but i can also give it out to you michael and you can try to connect to me so it's like pretty static uh, info and uh, Lots of the a lot of the scalable discovery solutions out there, like the BitTorrent DHT and and similar things, just basically just a fancy way of storing that 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 pair of data in a in a in a scalable way. <clears throat> way by the C is it's is somewhat different because it has different requirements. I think uh, for us you have a good explanation of how this works, but it's it it basically you cannot just store a static set of data. You need to do like a, a whole dance around uh, connecting people where you have to exchange multiple messages per person. So it's a it's a lot different. Uh, it's a very different scaling problem in terms of uh, um, storing like uh, connectivity information and stuff like that. Um, I think for us. At some point, you mentioned it's somewhat similar to dating, right? <laughs> okay. Yeah, I said, uh, I said, so normal TCP and UDP is basically like sending a letter through the mail. So you you could you could just send a message if you know someone's address, right? You just put it on the envelope and send it, and it'll arrive at its destination. But WebRTC is more like getting introduced to somebody, like getting set up on a date. You need to have someone there to like do the intro both ways before it can happen. Right. Hey, hey, Matthias, uh, yeah. you want to turn down Pharos's volume just a bit? Yeah, I think this is Pharos. Both people, both of you are called, call it two for me, so I'm just going to try one. 
<laughs> Those are content editable in case you want to. Oh, okay. <laughs> fix it. Oh, yeah, cool. Nice. <laughs> maybe. Yeah, I could hear myself there, and it was a little bit tricky to talk. Uh, oh, whenever you hear yourself and it's, like, delayed by a second, it's, like, impossible to talk. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yeah. You're, you're way less loud now. Okay. Oh, cool. Cool, yeah. No, yeah, so you're, so those... Uh, so basically, it's, it's, it's harder to scale in that sense because you need kind of a scalable... Basically, points down to instead of you just having to, to store, like, static data, which is, you can use with normal scalable key-value storage, you kind of need to do this super scalable pops up thing instead where you have to ex exchange a series of messages that don't live that doesn't live where we long um, and it's just a different scaling problem and it's uh, uh, there are solutions for it out there but there, I'm not, I haven't seen anything yet that I really like in terms of like massive scalability yeah so so to break it down really simply right at both ends of a connection create this one-time use token and then they have to exchange them somehow out of bound over the internet Right, like that's mm -hmm. it's not a host address that you connect to. You have to like me give you a thing, and then you generate a thing with that, <laughs> and yeah. give it to me. So there's no way for me to store data. The most that we can really do is relay it, right? Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. My 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 understanding of of the way WebRTC was designed was that was, I mean, I don't I don't see why that has why why WebRTC has to work that way. Like in other words, why it's not possible to listen on a port or like to, you know, to be able to generate a token that other people could use to connect to you multiple times and far into the future, like, you know, hours or days later. Um, I think it's just the way it is now. Right. So there's a bit of, uh, there's a bit of information in the token that you get from the person who's connecting to you that allows you to encrypt the connection. Uh, but I mean, we have ways of, of doing encryption after you've connected to somebody, right? Like you start with an insecure connection and then you upgrade it to a secure connection. So I'm hopeful that like in the future, you know, that'll be able to, to happen and to come to WebRTC. But, well, but, 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 you'd, but you'd still have the hole punching problem, right? So WebRTC uses UDP hole punching, which, which is like basically for, for people that listening that don't understand, um, you you hit the this is like when you're behind a NAT firewall. You need to have something that like you know makes the NAT know that incoming connections at a particular port it should forward to me. So hole punching are like these these UDP messages that you send to get one opened up to you, um, and but it only lasts for like a minute. It doesn't last forever. Um, and so in order to continue using UDP hole punching, like we we there's no way that we could have like a longer use token than than like a minute. Um, well, so we that's not port mapping. Um, and if you true. go to UDP port mapping, then that's going to, you know, be problematic too. Yeah. Well, yeah. What were you going to say, Matthias? What, what are some ways that you might be able to make it last longer than a minute? Um, so the thing about hole punching is that you can have a system that's kind of assumes that some people are going to be, uh, you're going to be able to connect to some people that are behind very friendly nets where, you know, normally IP port, uh, IP uh, port pairs just work. And then you have other clients that are behind some more tricky nets where you need to do hole punching. But um, like stuff like BitTorrent already has a way of kind of detecting that after timing out and then, then falling back to doing a more expensive hole punch. Um, <clears throat> so, I'm, uh, and you can also have, you know, longer, longer live sessions with hole punching, assuming different types of net and stuff like that. So it's just like, it's not just one thing. It, I, I think it, the way it works with, with WebRTC is probably just a way to, that gives the least friction to the uh, implementer because it just always works. It's just more heavy and it, like it's harder to do discovery. But like it's yeah, and in in particular, um, the part where uh, every WebRTC uh, connection object that you create ends up, uh, you know, doing a separate mapping with mm -hmm. uh, with the router. You know, means that if you create like fifty connections, then now you have like fifty port mappings in the router that are all being forwarded to your machine. And you have to give those out to like 50 different people, but there's like no real reason why you couldn't do that with one mapping, you know, that's a little bit more reusable that you could, you know, share, maybe, uh, you know, share that same uh, offer to 50 people and have 50 people be able to connect. Yeah. But I think they, they um, you know, they make each of those connections have a separate port so that when somebody uh, connects to that port and then you get, you know, you get data on that, uh, on that 
connection, you know that it's supposed to, uh, that the encryption for that connection is supposed to be uh, done with the, the token that was generated for that object. So basically it's a one-to-one mapping. Like that port matches that, uh, that RTC object, which matches that like encryption key. Yeah, I think, you're, I think encry- encryption is a big part of why it's, it's, it feels so heavy right now to do discovery because of what you said, because it's basically, it's aimed at one-to-one sessions that you can kind of trust are being bootstrapped in the, in the right way. Whereas the, whereas the way we're normally exposed to peer-to-peer connections is through something like BitTorrent where, you know, the higher level protocol kind of makes sure that, you know, there's content and integrity and stuff like that. So we, we care less about those things, but yeah. So, so let's, let's like assume that we can't really change the, the spec very fundamentally. <laughs> uh, what, are, what are our options today for doing discovery? And what are some of the more kind of promising experiments that have, that have gone out here? Um, so I think I've been working on this uh, a little bit the last past couple of weeks. I think there's still uh, ways where we could build like simple scalable backends that could that could basically use a distributed hash table with a few tweaks that would work. Um, you basically, like I said before, if you can do something that's basically just distributed pops up, you can do WebRTC handshaking pretty easily. And that's not super tricky with a... With a, a backend and a DST, um, the 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 annoying part is that it's it's tricky to do completely in the browser. We we always kind of need to rely on this backend thing because there's no good ways of doing DHTs in the browser or whatever to see because of the connection being uh, uh, too heavy. Uh, but um, I think you know if we give this. Uh, half a year, three months, there'll be pretty good open source solutions for it available out there. So Matthias, what do you mean by the the the, the fact that this is, the, what you just talked about is distributed? What does that mean? Is that distributed across multiple different servers that the browser like could talk to or yeah, where, so, where's so, the distribution? So, um, so the, the thing I want to have first is just, you know, all these, uh, all a lot of the uh, open source tooling around uh, signaling exchange right now are, are very basic. Uh, single servers that have like state where they you know it can introduce people and that's fine for most use cases but uh, what i really want to get working is uh, having a system that's super redundant in the sense that you know redundant in the way that the bit turn dc is redundant uh, we have something that we can just run on you know thousands of servers and uh, doesn't matter which server you talk to if your peer if your web RTC peer has an id you can find that uh, you can you can signal to that peer uh, using this huge backend network um that makes sense. Yeah, just, makes for, just, sense. Just, for, just for redundancy, basically, because uh, I don't know. I've been running into more and more uh, uh, issues with, like, you know, somebody accidentally turned off the signaling server, <laughs> and that's kind of annoying when you're running a distributed network. It's like this classic central point of failure that we don't need. Yeah. So the the route that I went down, um, and that I'm actually using here in in roll call. Um, is essentially, so every time that you're gonna connect to a network, you generate a public private key. So you have like this throwaway in memory only public private key pair. Um, so essentially that public key is like an identifier, almost like a way to get a hold of you like an IP address, but you have to sit on an exchange basically, but you can mm-hmm. sit on multiple exchanges, right? So this, this in a way it's kind of replicating like the tracker system where like you can connect to multiple trackers and like be this public, this public key on multiple places. Um, and then when you connect to rooms, like the room exchange is literally just like an LRU of the last hundred public keys that were, <laughs> that were there. So they're kind of decoupled from each other. Um, but that way um, you can't track people over time by like continuing to look for their public key and where they are. Um, so it, it's good for some of the privacy stuff. Um, and it also means that if I'm calling a public key, um, we can actually encrypt the the messages. Um, so that means that the intermediaries, like these exchanges, don't know our real IP address and and like the internal IP address and things like that that get embedded in those messages that nice. we're worried about people, that leaking out, right? Um, but I've been trying to punch holes in in this <laughs> um, and in this way of doing it. Oh, also, once you connect to a network, any node on the network, it'll relay messages inside of the network. Um, to everybody that it knows about. So once you connect to just one person in the network, you can get on the rest. So that's that's great, and that works really well. Um, peer to peer. Wait, how, how does that work? So you connect to a tracker, you get connected to a peer, and then uh, after that, how do I 
how, how can I use that peer to talk to other, uh, to connect to arbitrary peers? So like the, the first message that happens, um, it, it, so there's like some, some internal RPC stuff that I do over the data channel. Um, but essentially it just goes, hey, who are all the people that you're connected to? And then it's like, oh, I'm connected to all these people. And then it says, oh, really? Um, here, proxy this request to them. And, and just like when I give it to the exchange, I give it the encrypted version of um, our WebRTC message, our signal. Um, mm -hmm. So th that intermediary period can't read it, um, and it can basically pass them off to people that it's already connected to. So it just, yeah, it just proxies the, those those signals, um, and then once the signals are changed, I can directly connect to them. Eventually, I want to have those peers also be able to just relay all the data, um, because on a big enough scale, the network, like you can't have every peer connect to every other peer. You want to have like, mm -hmm. kind of super nodes. Um, but uh, I haven't implemented that yet. <laughs> that's also um, kind of that's kind of tricky for like uh, a generic use case. It's like it's easier to do per application, I think, the distributed turn. But it's a good idea. Well, I, I think it depends on how you it, it depends on how you look at a a quote unquote network. So mm -hmm. for me, a network is a single room in a chat room, right? Or it's a single phone call. It's not um, a, a bunch of possible namespaces, <laughs> right? right. Um, and so that that means that you can you can do it pretty generically based on you know you know you know if you have um, you know a lot of you know how much data you're basically pulling through per connection. You know um, how many people are in actually in the network. You know what a lot of your ping times are to them. Like there's enough information generically to figure out kind of how to make the network work as long as there aren't. Um, sub namespaces where data is getting kind of concentrated in the network, right? Mm -hmm. This approach seems pretty useful for for WebTorrent. We should probably do something like that because right now we just have the tracker servers, and there's there's about two or three community run trackers. But every time there's a press story about WebTorrent or it gets on Hacker News, uh, which happens ridiculously often for whatever reason, <laughs> um, then the trackers just go down um, because they're just running on single servers, like what Matthias was talking about. They're just like in a single process and running on some, I guess, some small VPS or something. So being able to maybe uh, just use the tracker initially to get it, almost like a, like a bootstrap node just to get connected to a couple of peers in the swarm uh, that you're interested in, you know, because like, uh, like roll call in BitTorrent, you have all these uh, what are called swarms, which are just centered around a single torrent that people are interested in. So if you get connected to a couple of peers in that swarm uh, via a centralized tracker, then after that, you should be able to just exchange, uh, uh, you know, WebRTC offers uh, with the, the peers that you're connected to by just saying, oh, I'm connected to these people. And, oh, you're connected to those people. Okay, how about, you know, you forward these messages along to those people for me. Mm -hmm. um, and actually, normal BitTorrent does do something like this for normal, just for, you know, um, for normal TCP uh, connections for peers. They have this thing called peer exchange, which is a, a way where you do just that. You basically say, oh, I'm connected to these peer IDs. And, and then you kind of negotiate. Um, you tell each other about peers that the other person might not know about and so on and so forth. So it's probably a really good idea to add that to WebTorrent. It would really lighten the load on the trackers, I think. I mean, there's a, it's, yeah. it's, there's a reason in BitTorrent that the trackers should use a, a simple UDP protocol, right? Because of that scalability thing. And they're, even ex they, they're exchanging much smaller messages than we're exchanging in, like... Uh, Wait about to see. What, 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 and they're not maintaining active socket connect, uh, exactly. active web socket connections to everybody because that's the worst part about uh, the way WebRTC signaling works is you're basically not reachable unless you have an active uh, web socket, you know, or whatever, an active connection yeah. to this 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 thing that's acting as your introducer or your your signaling server. Right. Uh, right. So you have to so the server has to be able to handle like you know a million active connections or something. Yeah, it's just it's never going to work basically. It's the lesson from BitTorrent, I think. Well, no, I, no, uh, I don't without, think that's without the turn true. thing. That's what I meant. Sorry, with the with the turn thing, it might be. A, you could probably design something that would work. I'm just saying, like the trivial approach with a single tracker that everybody connects to will probably never work for highly scalable things. Well, what what if what if the tracker just needed to hold on to those active uh, WebSocket connections without actually sending data along them most of the time? Like if you just use it as a bootstrap. Yeah, I think I think like a bootstrap approach might, might work. I'm just saying the trivial solution where everybody just tries to connect to it. I don't think they'll. Mm. Yeah, I think the bootstrap thing that Michael was talking about has good promise. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, yeah. That, I mean, it, it actually, it literally is a WebSocket connection <laughs> um, nice. that you just keep open. And then you, the only message that you ever get on it is, you know, are you still there? Or, hey, here's an offer. <laughs> that's nice. literally it. Um, yeah, I mean, that's, that's exactly what the WebTorrent trackers are doing as well. But the, the I guess the number of, so like if, if you're part of a popular swarm and you have that, you have that WebSocket connection open, then uh, the, then when a new peer shows up, the, the, um, the new peer will send, will send a bunch of offers to the tracker and say, like, I want to connect to up to 10 people here, are 10 offers, please forward them to like 10 people in the swarm. And the tracker will then, you know, forward those offers along. And so that the, if you're just sitting there with that WebSocket connection open, you'll be getting offers down it all the time. And, and, um, the tracker has to do a bunch of work every time it gets that set of offers because it has to like pick 10 random peers, like iterate over like, you know, an array of, of those objects and like, like it literally just ends up doing a bunch of, a bunch of like CPU bound work in order to do that. So there's, there's some fun, fun stuff that I put into the, the room exchange, but essentially, so it's, it's capped it. There's an array of uh, public keys and it's capped at a hundred and then they just start to fall out. Um, and that's all backed up and that's all backed by Redis so that, you know, however many, you know, node services that need to come up to, to ask it about the room. Um, anyway, and in order to get the list of public keys, you have to give it your public key and then you automatically get added to it. <laughs> um, so there's literally no way to look up who is in there without like also putting yourself in. Um, but that's, that, that was, that turned out to be really nice because then I have like, okay, I'll try to connect to these 10 and then these 10, if I don't get connected with this first 10, um, but I have like, you know, the, the last hundred that connected to whatever that particular room was named. Um, yeah. And then I can generate offers for, you know, 10 of them, see if they connect, whatever. Um, and then once I'm connected to one or two, it just handles the rest of it for, like for me, you know, there's mm -hmm. a bunch of code in there that just continues to get connected to everybody else. Um, nice. So, you know, you end up pushing way less messages through in order to get connected. Yeah, I think we definitely need to do that for WebTorn trackers. I'm going to probably change it so that there'll be like a thing in the spec that says like, if you already are connected to two people in the swarm, then you're not allowed to talk to the tracker uh, anymore. Something like that. Nice. Well, you still want to get some initial connections from the tracker so that like you you can then connect them to all the people that you're connected to, right? Oh yeah, maybe maybe they're just allowed to listen. Then they can't like actively send. They can't like send offers there to get more peers. They have to just like or just receive or whatever. Yeah. Yeah, maybe they just receive offers or something. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Also, like I don't know what you're like. I don't know what you're hosting that on right now, but um, so on Zite, um, I have like just these really simple services that are totally stateless um, and then they're just backed by Redis and because it's for the at least for the exchange the signal exchange stuff there's no storage needs it's just about mm -hmm. you know sending the messages through so I get away with like a free Redis instance and <laughs> however many Zite servers that ever need to get spun up for all the connections that I slam at Guillermo so <laughs> nice nice yeah, so yeah. I'm, uh, I'm, not, I'm actually not running so I'm just I have, a, I have a question, quick question. So in, in 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 your setup, does the server know end up does the server end up seeing the WebRTC signals in plain text, or are they always encrypted for the no. server? they're always encrypted. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, yeah. In fact, um, yeah. So it's it's always encrypted to the destination because it knows who that is. Um, there are a couple messages like you know I want to ping uh, these public keys to see if they're online there's a few messages like that and those need to be in plain text for the server to interpret mm -hmm. and but i still sign them just so that i know that the person who is saying that they're this public key actually is this public nice. key. That's cool. oh this is interesting but the so the the server can still see the swarm that you're joining uh, and your ip address because you're connected to the server over a WebSocket, right so it kind of knows uh potentially knows what you're what you're doing Still? No, 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 no. So it, it doesn't have enough information to like hijack one of those WebRTC connections, right? Because the yeah. the signal is, is encrypted. Um, and also, in but, a normal in a normal connection, like uh, if I bounce through some network like NAT nodes and stuff, um, that server only knows my public IP, which is usually like not my real IP, and it, it actually takes some some real work to get back to a real person. Whereas in the WebRTC signals, um, your internal IP address is actually logged in there. Yeah. <laughs> so you don't want like intermediaries to, to ever see that. Even even okay. directly connect to those intermediaries, they don't necessarily know that. I was just thinking though, if so, are you saying the server the, the server can see your public IP because you're 
you're well, connected. I'm connected to the server. Yeah. Right, and then you're you're also telling it the uh, the room you're trying to join. No, that's a separate service actually. So um, all it all it knows is like I connect and say I'm this public IP, um, and then it waits for messages for me. Um, and those messages are just signals that they're actually just encrypted bodies. So they could be anything <laughs> that was encrypted to that person. Um, but that's yeah. yeah so it's that's basically just service. it's just very simple uh, pops up where you know the subscriber to your public key, and it's encrypted. Yep. Yeah. Okay. Yep. 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 Wait, wait, but yeah, what yeah. about the uh, the room listing is just a separate service? You're saying that's yeah. So that... the, ro the room listing is a separate service, and what it stores are the public IP addresses that have connected to that room, essentially. Um, so every time I ask it for who's in there, it says I'm going to be in there for a while, so I'll put them into the list, and then it connects to on a separate service. It connects to those public keys, and this also means that you could have multiple signal exchanges, and if I really wanted to connect to a lot of people that may be in weird networks or whatever, I could be in multiple signal exchanges under the same public IP or public key. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But yeah, those so yeah those those projects are signal exchange and room exchange. Um, super simple. Okay, cool. Okay, um, been using a bunch of y'all's modules lately. Um, <laughs> definitely. Uh, yeah. So the, the, I actually just moved all of Killabees, the the swarm that I wrote, um, over to. Instead of using a lot of fancy stuff like I was using, like PouchDB replication and all this other stuff, um, it's at its base level, it is literally just um, a bunch of streams that are multiplexed together using Matthias's multiplex module. Um, nice. And sometimes those streams are also denode RPC streams. Nice. Uh, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, like, you know, when, when y'all are actually, you know, as you record this audio, you're sending it to me under one of these substreams. Um, and uh, yeah, yeah, that's that's all that it is. It's really cool. It works pretty well. Um, so, Michael, do, yeah. do you know if any uh, do you know if any uh, podcast um, companies are interested in using roll call? Uh, Seems ideal know. for that. Oh, actually, so the changelog uh, may use uh, some of it to to at least like replace Skype in the short term. I've been talking with them a bit, um, and then <laughs> the. Uh, the Zencaster people reached out to me on Twitter and were just like, oh, this is really cool, da da da. And we talked about it for a little bit. Um, they're, they're actually doing something very similar. So they're sending audio the same way, kind of locally recorded from each person, but they send it off to Dropbox rather than like the person that recorded it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, so is, yeah, is, yeah, is roll call using a simple, like, what's the distribution model in roll call? Is everybody just forwarding everybody, everything to everybody? Or is, is there like some fancy thing where I can? I can send something to Faraz and Faraz sends it to you and stuff like that. The audio. Uh no. For, so okay. So there's there's a couple of things going on. I forgot that I explained it to to Faraz before you came oh, right. on the pre-call. Uh, okay. <laughs> yeah. So uh, a couple of things are happening, right? So there's the normal. Hey, I want you to hear my audio WebRTC thing, mm -hmm. uh, which is you know the regular kind of audio stream. That's the monitor. Um, right. That tends to get like a little bit more compressed. Uh, if you have a bad connection, it'll kind of like it'll actually do uh, bitrate shifting and stuff like that. Oh, nice. Um, so, so that's really nice for like me to listen to, and it's prioritizing getting here fast and, and being real time. Um, but I also want what I really, what I really want for the podcast though is your, a local recording of your microphone close to mm -hmm. you before it hits the network, right? Mm -hmm. um, so what happens when I, when I or you know if if I hadn't already hit record, your record button would not be disabled right now. <laughs> but right. Uh, so when you hit record, um, you you basically send this RPC message to everybody that says, "All right, everybody, start recording the local audio and open up a substream and send it to the person that just hit record." to me, Michael. Um, so right now I have like just bits coming in from both of you guys. Um, that's your kind of raw audio. And then even when we end the call, it'll probably have to catch up for a little bit. Um, but yeah, so then when I download this to put into a podcast app, I'm gonna have everybody's locally recorded audio, including mine, rather than anything that got caught up in the network. Nice, okay. Yeah. And as a bonus, you can drag and drop uh, audio files in here and then play them. <laughs> And then like, and then now that's just coming like through. <laughs> so this is actually coming nice. like through the monitor so that everybody can hear it. Um, and uh, it's also hitting my local recording and recording a high quality audio on top of my nice. local track. So. <laughs> <That's awesome. laughs>
yeah. How much time cool. did you spend on this? A lot of nights and weekend time, pretty much. Um, pretty, it's been fun. Pretty polished. I like it. Yeah, yeah. There, there's a couple other, like, like, well, this little component that shows your audio going, mm-hmm. that I've been working on for a long time. Like, there's been several iterations of it, and I popped it into, like, three or four different things now. I mean, that's what, um, I, that's, that's what I love about peer-to-peer and Node, because, you know, you, know, you take the, the dis- distribution model. That's just, like, I'm going to take these five modules from NPM. It's going to take me, like, <laughs> five hours. And then you put it in, and you're like, oh, I want to have a visualization of what's happening. Two weeks later, you get, like, something, right? So that's, like, where all the time goes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I actually, so I'm also working on another app that has, like, um, live broadcast audio. Um, it requires infrastructure, so it's not, like, just an entirely open source, like, GitHub Pages project. Right. Um, but, um, yeah, it has a lot of the kind of same features. I'm using that module that you wrote to decode the, the WebM stream. All right. Have you, um, have you checked out the Substack's uh, spellcast thing? No. So you should check that out at some point. Also, we were working on doing... Uh, like uh, massively distributed live video in the browser. Oh, using, cool, cool. Using uh, WebRTC and some that uh, uh, stuff. I've been relatively unhappy with video quality so far um, mm-hmm. in the browser and really happy with the audio quality. So yeah, I've been audio is also way simpler to distribute because it's just mm-hmm. lower bandwidth. Although I, I can't get the live stream to be less than 30 seconds delayed because of... Um, what are they called? Like in, in your module, actually, you only emit data chunks for some kind of underlying container format. Oh, yeah, it's, uh, it's right. keyframes. It's, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Unfortunately, so, it's hard-coded now. Uh, it used to be it only had one keyframe, which is kind of like not very cool. But now it has a keyframe, no. now it has a keyframe every second. But uh, I'm hoping they'll add an option that will allow us to say like every something. When you do audio only, it's not every second. No. It's like every 30 seconds. Oh, wow. <laughs> Yeah, uh, that's that's the that's the annoying part about browsers sometimes, like those kind of things. But hey, yeah, that's a different discussion. <laughs> I was talking with some of my friends about doing the live video thing with uh-huh. um, real time uh, curation of like Twitter comments. So if you nice. if you're willing to watch delayed, uh, like to watch, for example, the presidential debate delayed by two minutes, then what will happen is like the people who want to watch it live uh, will uh, like all the tweets with this, with the debate hashtag will show up in the side. And then like the stuff that rises to the top during that two minutes will show up for you, like underneath uh, the stream. So like you could have real time fact checking or like corrections of the mm. things that they sh- they're saying, for example. And then like, you could basically decide how much delayed you want to watch the stream and the more <laughs> delayed, the more like better, you know, con- you know, context around it you'll have, but you're, you're getting it delayed. So it's up, it's up to right. you. Nice. <laughs> but yeah, it, it's too late for that now. The debates are all over. <laughs> Four years. <laughs> there's one more. Oh, oh is there? Okay. Yeah, yeah. There's one more debate. <laughs> I don't know if he'll still be running, but yeah. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, cool, cool. Well, yeah. Is there anything else that you've been thinking about that I want to talk to you guys about? Uh, I have one what small, have you all been up to? I have one small subject we can talk about. Uh, I'm curious about what Ross's take on this, but just like uh, WebRTC and Node, like not in the browser. What's what's up with that right now? So the state of the art that I've I've seen and it's what WebTorrent Hybrid uses, which is the the WebTorrent package that uh, comes with WebRTC support for usage in Node. Um, so you can talk to the WebRTC peers in addition mm-hmm. to the normal ones. That one is using Electron WebRTC now. Oh, it's a right. package yeah. in by Mapum. Um, yeah. It basically spawns an Electron window that has no UI, so it's invisible. But it's a renderer. Uh, it's a renderer process in Electron, so that means it has uh, access to like all of the browser DOM things, and that includes like WebRTC. So then it proxies. It, it creates a an object in Node that looks looks like a, a full uh, like WebRTC object, and you can listen to all the events and call all the methods on it. And then it uh, it just Passes those to the uh, electron window. It's pretty janky, but it so, works. So basically, the, basically the only working WebRTC implementation is the one in Chrome. <laughs> is that what we're saying? <laughs> I mean, there's also the uh, WRTC module, which we stopped using because it wouldn't build on so many people's uh, systems. Uh, also, kind of janky. Like it like, falls a lot. At least it used to. Maybe it's better. Yeah. Now. I heard I heard it's gotten better, but I've not switched back to using it or, or even tried it yet. So I don't know. Okay, fair enough. But why is it why is it so crazy to have 
a pure JavaScript implementation. Like, is the spec that crazy? It's just yeah. like it's just like it's the kind of thing that you you know you 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 sit down in a weekend and you're like I want to build this now and then you then you dig into it and you just go down a rabbit hole that just gets worse and worse in terms of complexity because there's just too many things in there. So you end up just trying to solve like you know what if you can just get the basic transport layer to work and it, that turns out that's that what it's called SCTP right something like that. Yeah, SCTP. It's, like, it's basically TCP and UDP. The mix of the two of them with with no trade-offs made and it's completely user configurable and it's yeah and it's kind of, yeah and then you know even uh i so I've, i actually i've done a lot of work with uh doing um uh utp the bit turn equivalent in the uh, in pure javascript using node and uh the node udp module the dgram module in node is it's it's actually not very good for doing these high throughput uh layer protocol on top for some reason. I think it's just uh, garbage collection or something like that. But you, it's hard to get really high throughput node using a UDP right now for whatever reason. Uh, I, I haven't debugged it that much. Um, so that's also like, you know, you hit this, it's kind of like a, a layer that's hard to get through also uh, if you wanted to do, because like most peer-to-peer -peer applications are like high bandwidth. That's why we like to do peer-to-peer. -peer. There's also, uh, uh, you, for, you forgot a layer too, DT DTLS, uh, which oh is God. the... Yeah, it's it's TLS over UDP. So that's what the I, D I, stands I, for. I, the, the one time I tried to compile WebRTC, I stopped when it was complaining that I didn't have SQLite installed. And I was like, why does this thing need SQLite? It's a, it's a transport <laughs> protocol. And I, I decided this, it's like, I'll get back to it in like six months. But, you know, yeah. But, but so um, if somebody wants to do this who's listening to the podcast, then right. we should maybe give them the pointers that we know. So, I would say there's there's a, an issue on Node on the Node repo right now about enabling uh, DTLS uh, from OpenSSL because Node binds to OpenSSL and OpenSSL includes DTLS. It's just not exposed uh, oh, cool. to to JavaScript. So if and, and it's apparently it's the only hard part is figuring out the interface uh, because it's a little bit different because it's UDP than uh, than the than the TLS uh, stuff that Node already exposes, the low-level TLS stuff. So, so yeah, someone needs to figure out that interface and then just expose it. And I think that the main, like the core people, the core team has expressed support for that. So it's probably you know, it's, it's someone just needs to do it. And then and then you know when you're making this pure JavaScript WebRTC implementation, you can call into this DTLS thing, and it's it's tech, you know it's it's quote unquote pure JavaScript, but you're you're using the core. Uh, node module there. You're cheating a little bit. That's fine. Cheating a little bit for that part. And that's probably yeah. the hardest. I think that's probably the hardest part because it's crypto and I wouldn't want to like write that from scratch and trust it to be secure. Yeah, I mean, we can, and we, we, we mainly only care about data channels also, so we can kind of just skip the whole video, audio encoding for now for like most applications. Right. And then, I mean, you still have your performance issues with DGRAM, but maybe, you know, maybe just to get something to work, you don't really care about that, right? I mean, that's just... Oh, you can also, you can cheat an optimization. That. You can, I mean, you can just make a native module that wraps, like the, the libuv layer for DGRAM is super good. So you can definitely get high throughput in that. I learned that by, I, I, I maintain the UTP bindings that are just written in C++ for Node, and I get like just as high throughput using those as I get with the TCP. So like, it's definitely it's fixable if you just dive into native code. It's just... Like context shifting or something like that. I don't know. That's but great. So if you actually, do, if you don't care about the uh, throughput, maybe you just go for the pure JavaScript implementation, mm -hmm. which is really nice. And then if you if you care, you know, you install the uh, native native one. Yeah, yeah. And then what about? Like yeah. There's one more layer too. There's the uh, oh, the SCTP we said. Yeah. What what's the status of that? Is there actually any implementations of that layer yet? Forget in JavaScript. Yeah, in JavaScript. I don't know. I. Don't think so, but I could. That's that. I mean, let me correct that. There's, there's definitely some implementation out there that probably I have finished. I bet. Uh, but there's definitely something out there. I think I've seen some, uh, but I don't think there's anything like, quote unquote, like production ready. But I don't know. Okay, the and then after with, all the these layers, the problem with SCTP is that the, it's not used anywhere else. I think. Uh, so it's, there's like not really that many use cases for implementing it outside of um, WebRTC. And we don't have WebRTC mm -hmm. implemented, so like, kind of like, why would somebody do that? Most OSs don't expose uh, SCTP like as uh, as they do for TCP and UDP, right? No, and like I think the only 
only implementation in use is, is the one that's actually running over UDP. So there's like two versions of HTTP. One that's actually a, a native uh, IP protocol where like routers have to implement it. And I don't think anybody uses that. And then there's one that's just called HTTP user land or something like that. That is the exact same thing, except it runs over UDP instead of IP. Oh, and that way you don't need a kernel extension? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. And there's like, uh, you know, native modules for that. Uh, sorry, like C++ things for that. I don't think there's anything for Node yet, but I could be wrong about that. But yeah, that's definitely the the best way to start with this, like get that working. And then I think, it, I think you're right, then everything else kind of just follows along. And then there's the top level layer of, on top of all of these, right, which is the data channel part of the, the stack, which- Yeah, and you also really... you need to implement Stun also, which is like also a lot of work. But I've seen Node modules for that. Wait, someone did that, I think. Yeah, I yeah. think that, that, one, that one exists in pure JavaScript. In Node, it's just a matter of plugging all the modules together. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. So h how much time have you all spent with um, like the intersection of uh, WebRTC media and um, web audio and also like the audio element and media element stuff in the browser? So I haven't spent that much time with any of the uh, like non-data channel parts of WebRTC. Uh, I played around with you know the or like uh, I done done a lot of stuff with the video and the audio, but mainly just for playing back content being served by the data channels. Um, I tried to get I don't know, but Michael, maybe you know this or maybe for us knows that, but I tried to get like good uh, MP3 playback using web audio recently. And it's, I found it a little bit tricky because uh, like a uh, seekable playback uh, where you can actually have a MP3 being served over a data channel and play it back in the browser in an audio tag or web audio, but still being able to mm. seek in the audio file and stuff like that. And I, I couldn't figure that out. Uh, yeah, yeah. So from what I can tell, there's a group of people that worked on the media type support for playback. There's a group of people that worked on the audio uh, the web audio stuff. Mm -hmm. And there's a group of people um, that worked on like get use the media web RTC stuff. And they've just, they've, they've never talked to each other. They've never met each other. They maybe don't know each other exist. Like these, it's so insane. Mm -hmm. um, I, so the media recorder API comes, you know, out of a lot of the uh, WebRTC get user media stuff, right? It's like, okay, we're, we're grabbing input um, from camera, whatever. We probably want to like, you know, be able to record this the same way that we send it out a data channel. So they say so they hook all of this up. And it, as you know, you can only really encode things into the WebM container. Um, and you can only really use like the, yeah. the AUG encoding stuff. Um, and when they implemented that, they, they put, they took the AUG encoder and they like implemented it, right? And, and they like wrote all the bindings to it and everything. Um, those people never worked on any of the playback stuff. Uh. So if you try to put a lot of that content in an, in an element, um, it actually hits like a different decoder. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, and like that's the FFmpeg decoder. And so, and, and then the, the audio, the people that did the audio API like bind on top of a bunch of that, but then not all the way. So I ran into this case the other day where um, I wanted to take all of these audio files that are being recorded and just mix them down into one track. And you can use an offline audio context to do this, right? Um, and, and have you guys used like the offline web audio context or even done like any like buffer source nodes before? No. Uh, yeah. So, so the idea is that like um, you you get a you get an element or like, essentially it's an audio source, um, but out of just an audio buffer, um, and you just give it like a bigger like it's just a big array buffer, mm. um, and you get that you now if you have compressed data and you want to get one of those nodes, you have to send it to this thing called decode audio data. Basically, you send it compressed audio data, and it will give you back wave data, right? Um, and you have to do this if you're going to send things to an offline context for a render because in order to schedule them at the right time, because they're all just gonna go as fast as they can to be processed through the node, you have to kind of schedule them. So you have to set them all up ahead of time. Mm. And the browser can't take audio that it recorded in the browser and run it through decode data to get the <laughs> unencrypted data. <laughs> That's so pretty good. Yeah, yeah. It's, wow. it's really crazy. 
Um, and it's so funny because I'm, I was like trying to figure out even how to explain it to, to somebody. And like every test and everything that anybody's ever written about this is all like, oh, you have a file and here's the file. And I'm like, uh, yeah. I don't even have a file. It's literally in memory. It's like, right. it's in like a blob, literally. <laughs> I, I've dealt with something kind of similar to this, um, but with using the media source API, which is, which is um, the way that, uh, well, it's an API that they made to allow you to, to do adaptive streaming video in the video tag, meaning you can change the, the quality of the video, the bitrate based on the network conditions or like whatever rules you come up with. You can basically swap the, uh, the MP4 uh, fragments uh, in the middle of the video and it will like upgrade the quality or download the, downgrade the quality and it won't like skip or anything like that. It's like the same video tag. And, and so that's, um, that's what I was using in order to be able to like play back a video file without having the whole um, without having the whole file in a blob, right? Because because if you just use the if you're just using the video tag, you can you can set the source to be like an HTTP server, or you can set it to be a blob URL, and that's about it. Or data, I guess the data URL too. But both but 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 both the blob and the data URL require you to have the whole the whole. Um, data in memory already and and if you're if you're trying to like stream data over a torrent or something like that and can't uh, you can't like that's that just means you're gonna like wait for the whole thing to download which which really sucks so it's not really streaming and if, <laughs> it's not streaming yeah it's i mean it will feed uh, yeah if it's a really small file like a small mp3 maybe you could do that but but it's not really streaming for for any other files that are bigger and then obviously you can't do http because it's this is like data that you have in javascript not on a server so so that the solution to like well, my solution to that was like, oh, I'll use the media source API because the way that works is um, it's up to the user of that API to, to implement their own algorithm for uh, fetching pieces of the video over XHR or the fetch API. They get the data from their server. They, uh, they have to keep an eye on like how much of data is buffered and they keep an eye on the network condition and all that kind of stuff. And then they, they fetch the different pieces depending on like their own algorithm. And then they uh, push those those video pieces into the um, into this media source object, and then that gets uh, that gets uh, pushed into the into the video tag. And the problem, though, is like you were just saying, Michael, they they uh, didn't talk to each other or something. So there's basically two different decoder paths that that it takes. So if you use media source, you can play certain certain formats, and if you use the video tag and you set an HTTP URL or a blob or whatever, then you can play different formats. It's really annoying, and it's super annoying because the video tag already supports playing all these crazy, uh, like it supports playing a for lot of formats that you might want to play like MKV files or MP MP3 files. And it even supports uh, seeking in those file types because it like knows how to read the metadata at the front of the file or at the end of the file. And then it knows when you seek to like a certain time that it should like go and get different byte range from the server. And it can do like an HTTP request for that specific uh, range. But like, if you're doing um, the media source API because you have your data in JavaScript, then you're screwed because you have to you have to implement all of those um, all that work yourself. Like, you have not don't have any access to, to all that logic, so you have to like parse the metadata of all the different possible formats yourself. It's really annoying. And so, one potential solution that I was t talking about with um, Jay Heisey, the guy who the guy who made um, video stream, which is what WebTorrent uses to do to do this right now for at least for MP, MP4 files in WebTorrent, um, is we could use a service worker and trick mm. the video tag into thinking it's talking to an HTTP endpoint, and then we could use that code path, right? So right. you set it to an HTTP URL that's like predictable, and then you intercept it in the service worker, and then you you um, when the user like seeks or something like that. Then the video tag will be. You get a new range request, right? You get a new range request, and then you know what data to give the video tag. Yeah, but I mean that's ridiculous. Why isn't <laughs> that just exposed? And also, the, also you can't do WebRTC inside of a service worker or, or any worker right now. So that means that you're like shuttling the data back and forth between the the service worker and the main page to provide the data. <laughs> right. Yeah, and also you can't cancel you can't cancel streams yet because uh, because I don't know why yeah, because yeah, yeah. because promises can't be canceled or whatever or I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, so basically, I. <laughs> so you can't actually use this for for like big big things because you can't cancel the you can't can actually cancel the data. So I don't know. Anyway, if you think about like the if you think about the positive things of all this is is that like you know we literally we literally had to write an MP4 parser in JavaScript to get this working. So now we have that. Now that's done. 
So <laughs> yeah, oh yeah, you did all that, didn't you? Didn't you write that module, Macias? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So this is just one big incentive for writing like binary parsers in JavaScript because we need that now. So we can, yeah, yeah. I know. I noticed that there, there's a full there's a pure JavaScript zip implementation too. Yeah. Um, <laughs> because at some point somebody needed that, and probably like after years of saying like I wish that we had bindings to see, like, yeah. they just just you know somebody wrote it in JavaScript and. I use that now. I I need that. I have these these <laughs> like web file objects essentially that I need to like zip up into a zip file, and I don't have a server, so please give me that. <laughs> yeah, yeah exactly. but the JavaScript is so big that like literally, if you say I want to download the zip, it goes okay. Let me go get that library. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Wow. Yeah, the part the problem with the service worker approach, I think, is like I don't think it's polite to just like install service workers on people's sites without. <laughs> telling them because you you mean that means you can like permanently change their site like forever into the future and also i don't know if you can install multiple service workers on the same domain like what if they already have a service worker i'm not really sure how that works so I don't, I don't <laughs> this really... isn't a sustainable solution like no, what we really like, need is a, is a yeah. yeah we need a we need a file api that you could extend um and start resetting some of the things like range requests and Oh, if we're getting a file API, we should also get a way to write files on the browser. I'm just saying that now. It'd be nice. No, no, no. That's what I'm saying, essentially. Oh, okay, like, cool. if you could, if you could extend it, right? Oh, I see what you're saying. Yeah, yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Let me like, actually let me pull up a JavaScript thing and see if that actually works right now. I'm I'm curious. Um, class blah extends. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Shit, that works. Okay. So you can extend the file <laughs> with classes in it. Um, I don't know if you can do anything with it. When I mean, I don't know if there's like any underlying calls that get made that don't just ask for You could like, extend the blob maybe, about. right? That If you extended the blob, then you, maybe you can overwrite like slice or something. I don't know. You would need to block the process though because it's sync. That's probably like hacks you could do. Hmm. I bet that, I bet that that uh, Chrome will crash if you try to use a, that modify that subclass yeah. blob. It'll be like, oh, you know, object is not really a blob or it doesn't have the shape of a blob. Yeah, you're right. I don't, I don't <laughs> know. I'm just very cynical about these native <laughs> APIs and their extensibility. Yeah, yeah, yeah I hear you. But yeah, that would be it. Would be nice. <laughs> Things that would be very pleasant to have. Cool. Well, yeah. Is is there anything else that we didn't get to that y'all wanted to talk about? I mean, we could probably talk about WebRTC for like hours and hours, but uh, I know. Yeah. Matisse is like, I I want to go. Let me go. <laughs> no, no, no. I got to write some code now. <laughs> no, no. I'm just like you know, uh, just like it's it's the I you know WebRTC for me is the best thing in the browser and the worst thing in the browser right now because you know it. <laughs> It allows you to build websites like the one we're using right now that are super cool, but at the same time, it could be so much better in my opinion. But it's good enough. It's it's it's. I I'm I'm also a cynic. Um, I think you know people should play around with more peer-to-peer connection stuff that also works outside the browser, like uh, UTP, for example. I think that's super cool for making whole punchable connections very easily. Um, but yeah, yeah. I feel like we need more sort of like infrastructure that's just up there that anybody can tap into yeah, for the, the signal exchange component. And then I think you'd see a lot of really cool stuff in like GH pages, open source stuff like this. Yeah, yeah. What's the I mean, maybe? Yeah, no. Go ahead, Forrest. No, you you go ahead. I was just about to say, what's the current like status on how many WebRTC connections can you have open for from a browser before it starts to like? become super slow and 100% CPU and stuff. I mean, it must depend on what you're doing with them. Like, Yeah, but it just seemed like super heavy connections for some reason. Like I bet the encryption or something like that is super heavy. Something is heavy about WebRTC, at least. I talked to um, I talked to the CEO of Peer5, which is uh, this, this startup that's trying to do like uh, peer-to-peer CDN for video, for like live video and for also just recorded, like pre-recorded video too. And he was telling me that they they, uh, they actually have a lot of users. He showed me, it's crazy. He showed me their Google Analytics. I don't know if I'm supposed to say this, but uh, he it was they put Google Analytics inside their script that they 
that you put onto your website. The idea mm-hmm. is you add a script to your site and then like you can then use their, you know, use their API or whatever. They have, the, they have their own Google analytics inside that script. And somehow that works, even if the other the site has its own Google analytics anyway. So he has a Google and he has basically has the combined Google analytics of all the people who have, who have uh, his like script on their site. And it was like hundred thousand plus people online at a time. So he's using data ch- channels, like pretty, seriously and he told me that he found that they found uh by just like playing with the number that they uh they don't want to go above uh like 15 data uh data channel connections which seems really low yeah that seems super low to me if that's if that's their max that's pretty low i mean maybe that's just like what they found just like good enough and then more connections don't help or something uh, but webtorrent uses six i think up to up to 60 per torrent, which is, which is probably too much. Right. Well, there's this like, you know, demonstrable problem where you can saturate too many connections and then the packet overhead goes up the slower that each individual connection is. Right. So more of a percentage of the actual bandwidth is just being spent on the connection overhead. Um, then it would be on. Oh, you mean like keep alive packets? Not just keep alive packets, but like um, literally just like, like, so the the way that TCP works, right, is that like the slower that the connection is, the more often that you're going to have these control frames that they go back and forth. Right. Um, so there's just more work to keep a connection open when it's slower than when it's bigger, um, in, like just generally. Um, and those don't really get batched up from like me to my to my next hop, wherever my gateway is. But like a lot of the, you know, a lot of the modern protocols, transfer protocols like UTP and all the other UDP and whatever they're called, not UDP, UDT, they all call something UDP, UDT something, I don't know. But they all, they, they generally use this thing called the LEDBAT, L-E-D-B-A-T, that's supposed to, to handle that very gracefully, like both upgrading the, the packet size and also like uh, starting like uh, sending fewer packets if there's a lot of congestion and stuff like that. So it's it is a semi-solved problem. Uh, I, I'm unsure if SCTP does that, but I bet it doesn't because it's super old. Um, <laughs> like the SCTP packets is as old as TCP almost, I think. Um, but like you know, for example, BitTorrent it used to have this problem where if you have a BitTorrent client. Uh, and you were downloading something popular, popular, you couldn't browse the internet because you know the TCP connections would kind of cause a lot of congestion on your network, which is actually why they started doing this UTP thing. And now it's it's not really a problem anymore, like uh, unless you're on a, some crazy network, it it detects that something bad is happening and backs off at the transport layer. Um, oh yeah, that makes that makes a lot more sense at, at, in UDP because you can control that a lot more. Yeah, but like you know, WebRTC is also over UDP, right? So it should, you know, it should be able to do the same thing. Yeah, but I, I don't know. I mean, I haven't looked at it in depth enough, but just the feeling that I get from the people and the spec and everything is that the biggest priorities were reliability um, and encryption and privacy, and that you know, being efficient for a ton of data, not using a lot of resources, that kind of stuff was like not as much of a priority. That was way down the list. It also feels like a little bit that like uh, data channels were not really that big of a use case in the beginning. Like when we first started doing WebRTC stuff, I mean, for us, we, you know, we noticed that there wasn't a way to do back pressure, for example. We had to file an issue for that and they actually fixed it. That was super cool. But you know, like very stuff like that that you're just really used to with, with when working with streams and node, for example, just wasn't in there. There was no way to detect it. There's still no way of doing back pressure on the readable side if I don't. Is there a first? Mm-hmm. Do you remember? I don't think so. No, I don't think so. Yeah. So if, right. if they're sending you to if the peer remote peer is sending you too much data, you have to I, create your own like way of telling the peer to slow down. You yeah. Have to, like, maybe even send though it's it, in send the it protocol or something like that, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, the protocol has a way to do it, but it doesn't expose it to you. Yeah, so and like, so if your if your application yeah. layer can't handle it, then you're you're you have to send it your own message. Yeah, yeah. So like right now, what what you're doing is you're um you're encrypt you're encoding stuff with Media Recorder, which is like its own off brand stream thing, completely outside of this conversation. Um, then yeah, <laughs> those those data events are actually getting converted to a node stream, kind of. Um, 
and uh, and then sent to me, you know, over like a multiplex connection. Now, if you if you start sending it too fast and I can't take it, it's just going to load up into your memory, right? Yeah. Because there's no there's no message to give media recorder to say like, oh, hold on to this. Yeah, and also there's no way to tell web see to like to signal that anyway. So like it's uh, yeah, unfixable right now. But yeah, well, that one's well, less I'm sure important. That there's a I'm sure that there's a back pressure me- mechanism within the actual transport protocol. Yeah, it's just right? not exposed. It's just not exposed. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Also, also, I think the writable one is more important anyway. Like, if you're writing too yeah, fast definitely. for your own computer to handle it, then you want to stop um, and slow down. But on the uh, on the receiver side, I feel like most of the time you're already you're doing some other protocol anyway for like talking to that remote peer. Like in BitTorrent, you just you would stop requesting pieces from them, and then you know that would solve the problem of them sending. Uh, yeah, I mean, except if you're like if you're doing distributed turn where you just want to proxy traffic from one peer to another peer, all of a sudden you cannot do that because you don't have readable back pressure, right? So that kind of sucks. Mm-hmm. Then you need to know yeah, what they call and stuff like that. That's super tricky. I would argue you shouldn't be doing distributed turn. You should just do this distributed signaling, and then oh yeah, but I mean, you know, distributed turn was just one example of something that's basically a proxy. There's like plenty of other use cases for it. I don't think there's any excuse for not adding it. I understand why it's not a priority, but I think you know it's a fundamental thing to have in a transport protocol, to be honest. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. I mean, it's been in Node since 0.2, for example, right? It's always been there. So, How do you use it in I, Node? I... Oh, sorry? Oh, I was, I was sorry. I was just curious how you use it in Node. I've never used it. Because pipe handles it for you, but like, you know, you have to pause and resume function on a stream. That's oh, okay. Well, well, that wasn't in... Version. That wasn't in. in uh, I think it's always been in there since streams got in there, right? Zero point two or zero point four. So, oh, yeah, we have the node historian here. I'm trying yes. to remember it. <laughs> if there, if there was, it was only for like a week. Um, so I mean, so the initial node stream-like things actually had completely different APIs for some reason. So like one would call something data, one and another one would have like an on data method um and there were just like weird names for different things between them and then um for like a minute there was like different ways to tell if you needed back pressure from different interfaces with terrible but then we unified it all and then i wrote the pipe method um which was in util.pump at the time Mm. um but uh yeah, like so, we we unified the API pretty early on. Though. I mean, this is all like the zero point zero days. So, nice. But yeah, yeah, yeah. It was like very clear right away that like we needed back pressure, and then we needed a way to signal back pressure through these pipe chains. Um, and then shortly after that, I added the pipe event so that um, now each actually no no sorry I got it backwards. I added it to pump that util pump. Then Ryan moved it into a base class, and we had a base class for for streams, and so that knew that. A stream knows its destination, and then I added the the pipe event so that both ends know about each other in a pipe. Um, and you can do fancy stuff like request. Nice. Yeah. But yeah, yeah. No, it's been in there forever, and like I don't know, like I don't even know of any APIs in the browser that handle back pressure. Like I can't think of any <laughs> offhand. You, like you saying that there's one inside of WebRTC somewhere is like the first time that I've ever heard of one. Like I mean, I, like right now I'm 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 using the file writer API in the browser, right? Because I'm taking mm-hmm. these huge file streams from from you guys that I'm going to download later. Right. So those are getting written into writable file objects. I've no like no there's no back pressure there. Like if if the file system gets too slow, it's just like oh, whatever memory. Like <laughs> like what's what's going to happen? Um, just, just reload and the like page. It's, it's, <laughs> Well, yeah, and it's it's literally not even going to back up, like like you know try to back off of receiving data from you right. because it yeah, yeah. has no signal there, right? Like it could it could do that, but it won't. Um, yeah, that stuff is just very very lacking. I mean, so there there used to not even be writable back pressure in WebRTC, to see, but like I said, we just filed an issue and they were very like nice and added it without too much like trouble so it's definitely something they you know they're open to suggestions which is really awesome it's not something you experience with browsers that often but they were super cool about changing things which i liked yeah we need to just get you know one of these into all of them and then even if it's a weird different api we're just going to write libraries on top of them oh yeah, 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 yeah streams yeah. <laughs> so yeah, yeah, it doesn't yeah. really matter yeah. something that returns <laughs> a promise that i can wrap in a callback that i'm good <laughs> I think that the that before we add we made that issue there was a way to like 
pull a property on the peer connection or on the data channel that would tell you how much oh, data yeah, was buffered right. in memory. Remember? So you yeah. could do like a, a set interval or something and check it every second and be like, oh, yeah, uh, there's, there's too much, bu- there's data buffered. Now we have to like stop writing. But yeah. then they gave us an event that tells us that the number yeah. is non-zero. And then now we know, okay, it's non-zero. <laughs> we should stop right away. Yeah, yeah, that's true. <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> that's crazy. Yeah, I, I love that, like, like the first usable library that I found written on top of the Media Recorder API was Matthias's thing that turns it into a node stream. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> nice. Um, and then I, 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 had, I added the stop method to it because just, just something as simple as stopping it is actually really complicated. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think, a, I think a great life hack is if you uh, open an issue on, a, on uh, like, a browser bug tracker, you should definitely tweet it out <laughs> because it gets a lot of stars and then they fix it sooner. It makes some people, it, it makes some, it makes some people mad. Uh, some people are like... This is not scalable advice. <laughs> well, I don't know. Some people are like, I paid lots of money for my W3C board seat and you're, 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 you're bypassing the process. Have you paid for your W3C membership? How dare you change priorities like that? I'm like... I'm like, guys, guys, tweeting out a, a, a bug and saying, like, FYI, you know, this is an issue. If you if you care about it, now's your chance to, to comment is not, like, bad. It's, like, great. They should be they should be looking for more input from actual web developers, right? Not, not the opposite. Saying, like, have you paid to voice your opinion here? Right. Yeah. Right. Anyway. <laughs> haters going to hate. <laughs> nice. I'm pretty, but I'm pretty sure I'm pretty sure that's why that buff that issue got fixed so fast. Yeah, it got like ten stars. That was awesome. No, 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 dude. It was like th- dude. It was like thirty stars, man. Thirty, like, okay, thirty. Right. I remember the the guy, the like, they were like, "Wow, this is one of our our top four issues. Uh, we should fix this." <laughs> <laughs> so basically, if you have oh, wow. fifty friends, you can corner the browser market. That's what you're saying. Okay, yeah. wow. If I don't get a reply on that issue that where I was complaining about this uh, decode data thing, I'm going to tweet that out. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And now we've got it on a podcast. So yeah. it's like... <laughs> I mean, I think if you just ask literally for stars, then some people might complain. But if you're like, hey, if you care about this, then you should say something. Then That's it's like a, a fancy better. way of asking for stars, though. But yeah. Totally. <laughs> call this campaign, see something, say something. <laughs> oh, God, yeah. <laughs> <Nice>. <laughs> all right on that note it was great talking to y'all it was yeah, a- yeah.